Welcome to Across the Dietary Universe, a podcast where we bring experts along our voyage to discover the secrets of food and how it relates to each of our unique dietary profiles. From the origins of diets to current eating trends to the frontier of food innovation and the future of how we eat, we'll discover that when it comes to food, things are not necessarily as they seem. Honeycomb is a mobile app that works with your iPhone or Android device to help you find suitable food to eat at restaurants near you based on your specific dietary requirements. If you're plant-based and celiac, low FODMAP with a tree nut allergy, keto and dairy-free, we support countless dietary combinations and profiles. Based on your inputs, Honeycomb curates the best restaurants for you and the best options to order at those restaurants. If you have more severe allergies, don't worry. Honeycomb only recommends you places that have a clear protocol to deal with cross-contamination. Pre-order Honeycomb today at get.honeycomb.ai. Courtney, it's so nice to have you on the show across the dietary universe. Let me introduce you, give you a proper introduction to our listeners. Courtney Kwong Hing is the co-founder of Zestful, an online community that celebrates life with food allergies. Courtney is a co-creator of the online community Allergy Travels and co-host of the Itch podcast. Courtney has known food allergies since she was four months old, and now she shares her expertise on handling multiple food allergies, asthma, eczema, and oral allergy syndrome. She shares her beliefs that you can have a full life with food allergies and enjoy food, travels, friendship in your own way. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really cool. It's cool to connect with another Canadian. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We were just talking about, um, you know, I was sharing with you that I have ulcerative colitis, uh, which is, you know, I spend some time in the hospital and so on. You mentioned that you have some people that you know with colitis. Did you want to like get into that a little bit more? And then we can maybe touch on your story a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was just thinking it's so interesting. You know, I feel like there's a lot of uh, crossover in a lot of different people's lives. So people with uh, celiac disease, people with ulcerative colitis, like people who have to avoid food, like we do with food allergies. But sometimes I feel like the conversation gets halted, because the food allergy community is like, yeah, but it's like threatening for us. So one bite could kill us. But mm. at the same time, like one of my really good friends is celiac. And the long-term damage that her body is going through every time she meets like a little tiny micro dose of gluten, right. it's just it's just a totally different conversation for you guys because it's like you're dealing with it every day and we're anaphylactic. So if we avoid it, we're okay. But if you hit, if you, you know, have a flare up, this is a long-term experience for you that could you don't know what's going to happen to your body afterwards. So I think it's so great that you're starting this conversation between these communities and that we can learn so much from each other and we can really support each other because I don't think that we should all be on these journeys alone. Yeah. We're all, you know, we're all fighting against the same kind of pushback from, you know, the restaurant industry that let's have that conversation and let's try and find a way to like be be a community of people who need to just avoid food <laughs> right. for some health reason. Yeah, well, that's very well said. You know, we have to look at this in a sober in a sober fashion. Why hasn't this been figured out yet? Right. I I, I say this to investors all the time. It's 2021. Why are we still go? If we have to go to a restaurant, we have to download a PDF 
We have to zoom into a PDF on our phone. We have to manually parse through information. We, we, most of the time, that information that we're looking for is not there. Ingredients aren't disclosed. So you, you, you have to ask the restaurant and then, you know, you have a little disclaimer at the bottom of the menu that says, oh, well, if you have allergies, actually, JK, this menu is not really for you. Call the restaurant, email the restaurant and venture at your own risk. Now, my understanding was that we're going to Mars soon but we still have a PDF menu. So, so to me, the reason why this has been held back for so long is because we, mm -hmm. we all have tried to accomplish it in our own little bubbles. People with peanut allergies are fighting in their own way. People with shellfish allergies are fighting in their own way. People who are plant-based are fighting in their own way. Celiac fighting by themselves. We all have, you know, uh, our separate battles that are going on, which are, are all very worthwhile battles to fight but they aren't effective because you're hitting it from too many different directions. So it loses its power. What we're doing at Honeycomb is connecting everyone together. When you put them all together, it becomes very significant. If you yeah. combine it with all of the other dietary restrictions together and you have people with dietary restrictions, all of a sudden we're like 38% of the population. Now that's mm -hmm. impressive, right? And now we got some yeah. oomph. We need to be together. And I think that resonates with you as well. Yeah, I think it does. I think that as a community, we need to learn from each other when we talk. Your industry is a little bit like, I'm, I like to push back on you guys a lot because I know that the mm. restaurant industry, I've had multiple conversations and we actually had a panel discussion on Zestful about this, about yeah. whether restaurants need to cater or should cater to people right. with dietary restrictions. Because there's a difference between someone on a keto, gluten-free, paleo diet versus someone who's going to actually have a medical problem eating that food. That's right. And I think what's happened to the restaurant industry is people come in expecting to be treated the same with their keto diet as someone who's anaphylactic to soy. Mm -hmm. And that's where the conversation is tricky when we try to clump in all of these different diets. And it's like, you need to differentiate whether it's a health issue or whether it's a lifestyle choice, because we don't want people thinking that our health condition is a lifestyle choice because then it's not treated the same. Right. And restaurants are a little bit upset, you know, every time someone comes in and says, I'm allergic to this. And then they're eating off the plate of their significant other. Right. Where it's like, obviously <laughs> you're yeah. not allergic. So then they're not treating any of us safely or, you know, happily because they're right. just not sure if we're just being specific. And so I think that's the one conversation that gets tricky is nowadays diet trends are just insane everywhere. Yeah. And it's like, we're not diet trends, right. dude. Like if I could eat peanuts easily, then I would totally do it, but right. I can't. <laughs> no I think, one wants to go to hospital tonight. <laughs> I think that's, you know, and I a hundred percent agree with you. And that's something we faced over and over as far as it being my industry. I'm, I'm just here solving a problem. My industry is probably just you talking too much. That would be my industry. Um, but I'm here solving a problem because it affects a lot of people. And the reality is I've had restaurants tell me, you know, I don't want people with allergies because it's going to turn my restaurant into a hospital. I've had that verbatim mm -hmm. res restaurants tell me that I've had restaurants tell me that we put allergens into our food on purpose to keep people with allergies out. Legit. Okay. Legit. Yeah. I very much on the front lines have, have seen any number of reactions like that. And the only way I think where stupidity and, and ignorance of course, we have to we, we, we have to deal with that. And if someone thinks that a keto diet is on par with a, 
you know, severe food allergy mm-hmm. that sends someone's anaphylactic shock, it's an education issue, right? Yeah. You know, when people get educated, Courtney, people get educated when there's a financial incentive to get educated. If there isn't, <laughs> yeah. if, if there isn't, they're going to stay, right? And, and, you know, so that's what we're trying to do and say, okay, well, you know what, if you disclose all ingredients, if you disclose all protocols, we can match you up with the right people to come to your restaurant. We don't, you don't necessarily have to be, uh, you don't necessarily have to implement protocols to accommodate, you know, people with celiac or people who need to prevent cross-contamination of shellfish, for example, right? Um, but if you're a vegan restaurant, that puts you in the category of being a shellfish-free location, right? Yeah, uh, or a dairy, yeah. dairy-free location. So I want to get more about you, so I'm going to stop talking about honeycomb soon. But, <laughs> but what we're about, just for the listeners, is that, you know, w- we want to be where restaurants are comfortable, and there's a lot of good restaurants out there. There's a lot of good restaurants, but hey, what is their current mechanism, their channel to let the world know that they do have protocols for, for certain allergies, that they do accommodate for certain diets, right? There isn't sort of a standardized way that sort of deals with everyone. And, and, and furthermore, as a final point, what happens if you have a peanut allergy, but you are on a keto diet? What happens if you're vegan with a tree nut allergy? Like, good luck going to a plant-based restaurant that doesn't have some sort of like a, you know, a cashew-based cheese, right? Yeah. So that's sort of when, when you have these like comorbidities, if you will, or you have these co-diets and, and, and restrictions, that's where it gets really tricky. It's like you have to maybe use three, four apps to get the answer that you're looking for and cross-check against them all to see if you have any results. So I don't know if that clears up, I guess, where we stand. We're just trying to like be as pragmatic as possible. I think what you were saying was really cool. Like if you just put it all out there at the beginning, then people can make that informed decision before walking through your front door. Whereas when you come through the front door, you sit down and you start talking to the waiter. That's where that conversation gets tricky. But if you can vet wherever you eat, which I think a lot of people with food allergies do, then you can figure out, okay, this is a place I can have that conversation with. And I know that they're going to be comfortable serving me and they're going to accommodate my dietary needs i think that's cool is that you're nipping it in the bud so it's like you answer before they even ask the question yeah and 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 of course you know everyone's going to have the conversation anyways and we encourage people to have the conversations um but if restaurants know like hey this is going to help you know add add a punch into my marketing and it's going to help me access this 38 percent, i might be a little bit nicer my servers might be a little bit nicer if we weren't already i mean everyone the standard should be a kind person and not say yeah. snarky comments and stuff. But unfortunately, we live in the world that isn't kind is not the top priority. Usually, <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to I want to jump into your background and a little bit more about you, Courtney. Uh, and I never do this, by the way, at the beginning of the podcast, talk about my what we're about so much. But I guess it's interesting for you and our listeners. So um, thank you for indulging me in that. Oh, no, totally. I know. I tend to like ask too many questions when I'm on a podcast. So, oh, no, <laughs> talk about my story. But what about you? Yeah. It's probably because I have, I also have a podcast. That's and right. So I'm used to being on the other side of the table. That's true. That's true. I think you're the first person that I, I've spoken to here that has their own podcast as well, or at least a very active podcast, at least. Um, so I want to talk about the 90s. Um, and your parents tried to get peanuts banned at your elementary school. Uh, and things got a little crazy. Can you t- can you tell us about that story a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the, all the details. My mom and dad have been, didn't clarify as much as I would love to know. But what I do know is basically, I grew up in the '90s, so I was born in '89, 
And I was diagnosed with a peanut allergy really, really early on. So we knew that I had multiple food allergies by the time I was four. Uh, but I had had anaphylactic reactions to peanuts. So we knew peanuts were like the one that I definitely 100% need to avoid. Um, and we were, you know, we were navigating the world kind of by trial and error. I didn't have an EpiPen because that wasn't something that was standardly given to people like me. But my mom tried to get peanuts banned from our school. She just, it would just make her life easier. And it was just a conversation that she wanted to start having. So she went on the PTA. She was the president of the parents board of our school. She did all of the possible things. She fundraised. She was, you know, like 100% into our school with the goal basically of getting peanuts banned. But if she had enough clout within the whole PTA politics, she thought maybe that would help her be heard. The problem was is that people honestly did not believe in a peanut allergy at that time. They thought she was a little crazy. They were like, because you know she can't be die from a peanut because they were common no one talked about peanut allergies in the early 90s but like talking 94 95 that's not something that everyone knew about and they just thought she was like a little bit cuckoo bananas so she got so bullied by people and people did not believe her and she was treated like a crazy person and it was insane and you know what after six years of struggle she never got the peanuts banned um i always knew that she had issues with the PTA, uh, but I had no idea as a kid that the wow. issue was that they didn't believe that I had a peanut allergy and no one wanted to do anything to accommodate my allergy. Wow. So now we look back and we're like, wow, peanuts are banned. I mean, unfortunately, Ontario, it took a death to make peanuts. Hold on. I didn't know that peanuts are banned in schools because it wasn't when I was growing up either. So when did it? when did that go into play? Oh, I don't know the year, but it's called... Oh my gosh, I hope I'm not like mixing up laws now, but I think it's called Sabrina's Law. I have to double check. Okay. Please tell me if I'm wrong, listeners. We can comment on it. They can comment on it. It's okay. But, um, Be easy. Yeah, so someone had passed away from a peanut allergy in Ontario mm. and in all elementary schools. Um, I'm not 100% sure about high schools and middle schools because this happened after me. Yeah. Uh, they banned peanuts. So peanuts in Ontario uh, are pretty much not possible to bring into schools. Right. Well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense given the severity of it in children. And I mean, who knows what can happen in elementary school. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. Frankly, I'm okay with banning peanuts anywhere in other areas, like on a plane and everything. Is that an issue like in terms of the parts per million in the air, if it's like circulating or something for you? Or is that for like super, super severe people? So I heard, and we did, we talked about this on um, our myth busting podcast on the itch and what they told us or what Dr. Gupta said was that the protein in a peanut, and I'm not a doctor, so please don't take this (laughs) advice, but what I've heard is that the protein in peanut is really heavy, so it doesn't get airborne very easily. But in a plane, if everyone's like popping open a bag of peanuts and it's like, everywhere then that's where you can be concerned because everyone's like opening a bag and the air pressure will help that whole airborne situation happen but otherwise peanuts are really um are heavy the protein so it's not necessarily something you should be too concerned about breathing in i know that some people say they're airborne i know that for me the smell of peanuts kind of like triggers an anxiety response right so there's that and an anxiety looks very much like an allergic reaction 
you know, your heart starts racing, you can start sweating, some people get stressed, and you know, get urticaria, so hive. So your response can look very much like an allergic reaction, but it could just be a panic attack by being in an enclosed space with an allergen. So that's kind of like the tricky place of peanuts on planes. Luckily, there aren't that many peanuts on planes anymore. They're just yeah. generally from people who bring them on. Um, so it's never been too much of a concern for me. Got it. I, I've almost been kicked off a plane a couple of times. Okay. I disclosed my food allergy, so I've become a little bit more. Oh my god! Hesitant Wait, hold on up. Something. Hold up. They would. They, they wanted to kick you out because you disclosed your food allergies. Yeah, because I was a, a potential liability. That's and, horrible. Um, That's a lawsuit landed, waiting to happen. It would be on my shoulders. Oh, oh, I think they have pretty good fine print, these airlines. Wow. I don't know if the fine yeah. print would hold it. That's, that's horrible. And so how did you, how did you um, maneuver that situation? I, um, the one time my, my, my dad was with me. I was a teenager and he, uh, he flies a lot. So he's a super elite flyer. Mm. And he used his clout to yeah. get someone higher up to call the person and tell them that they have to let me on the plane and then it's our own liability. And then we had to sign a form. Was this like uh, an, an international, forms. was it like an international flight? Uh, yeah, we were flying from Toronto to California. Okay. Was there like a meal or something that it was an issue for? Well, they serve tree nuts, warm tree nuts on business class. Um. And we asked if they could not do that. And we had we had brought popcorn and all of these other snacks to replace the peanut snacks. And for everyone. we refused to Hold on for Yeah, everyone. we brought like little bags <laughs> for everyone. Like we were prepared for this because I had just experienced a really bad anaphylactic reaction. Mm. So I had a little bit higher anxiety level at that point. So we were like, okay, we're gonna bring everyone a packaged snack to replace these stupid nuts. And why is that so cute? Why is that so cute? <laughs> you came and brought <laughs> they all these little they were snacks. Like, no. That's really funny. That's thinking outside of the box. I really like it. But of course, they'd be like, no, you can't do that. No, they weren't feeling it. They're like, people yeah. need their nuts. Yeah, people. This one guy, he comes on our airline just for these nuts. These warm nuts make his week. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to compromise the business class. Well, that's. Um, oh, I'm, I'm happy that you're able to, to get through that. Uh, it sounds awful, but it sounds like that's probably not even the worst experience that you've had. Um, in social situations like I can I can't imagine and I can also imagine simultaneously that it's awful um, but I'm sure you have things well beyond what I can even imagine like growing up with friends probably going out people are going to a restaurant you can't go to the restaurant was that the theme growing up or did you have friends that were very accommodating and you would get to pick um, I kind of avoided eating out situations. So now in retrospect, I think the problem was that I avoided too many situations, mm, you know, yeah. so my social life, um, struggled, yeah. <laughs> maybe you could say that sure. as a teenager, because I just wanted to avoid anything that was awkward because I was super awkward and awkwardness just made me even more awkward. So it was like, let's just go home. Mm -hmm. So I would rather avoid these situations. I find now that I'm an actor it's a little bit more challenging but I have really supportive friends you just have to surround yourself with people who get it and who know that right. you know what they can eat their pad thai tomorrow and yeah. aren't we just hanging out let's just hang out somewhere that's safe instead right. of make it weird and have me just sit there and drink a tea or we just meet for coffee you know so we make it work nowadays and I think that as a teenager I should have just 
try to make it work instead of just run away. Right. Yeah. But I mean, there, there would have been some risks to take uh, as well if you're, you know, trying to make it. So maybe it happened for the best anyways to um, to, to give you a bit of a buffer. Of course, you look, we, we, we all had awkward, uh, years as teenagers. I think no matter how you cut it, um, nobody looks back super fondly. <laughs> Maybe there's <laughs> few and far between, I would say, don't look back and, and cringe. Um, but do you have now some favorite restaurants that you go to that, you know, these are the ones that are safe? Yeah. At home. So back in Berlin, I have a couple of places that I go to, you know, the pandemic changed a lot of things. So some places let, like popped up, some new places popped up that we're going to try. Um, some favorites disappeared. Also, the level of accommodation has changed a little bit. Uh, but I do have like a go-to list of maybe four or five places we know. They know my chef card. They mm. know my allergies. Right. Um, some of the owners have allergies or dietary restrictions themselves so they get it but we've had that conversation enough and i think that they see me all the time there and i'm like you're one of the safe places so they're they're always pretty happy to see us there yeah i mean that's one thing for sure is when somebody with severe or any form of really dietary restrictions finds a place they can go to and finds the items they can eat I mean, you're just repeating that over and over again. I think I say that people dietary restrictions are the most loyal customers that exist. Um, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and can you, can you give, because I, I don't think it, it started, like when you moved to Berlin, how long ago was that? Eight years. Eight years. Okay, so when you got there eight years ago, you didn't have those five restaurants. You probably had some others that you had to work through, right? Yeah, so I mean, things change all the time. Right. So. Do I have, I have like one place that's kind of been around since we've there, been there and he has, the chef himself has a lot of dietary restrictions and food allergies. Yeah. So that was kind of cool when I figured that out. Um, but otherwise, yeah, things fluctuate. Did you have ones that you went to that you no longer go to? Yes, I have a few. Um, we, you know, the more you talk to people, the more you dine out, the more you realize that, oh, this might not have been so safe or uh-huh. they just change their weight staff and um, the way that they treat you changes. And that's just, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have a bad dining experience. I don't eat out a lot. Yeah. And so when I do eat out, I would want it to be as harmonious and as relaxed as possible. So I'm not going to sacrifice. So what gave you the feeling slightly uncomfortable? What gave you the uncomfortable vibes or the sketchy vibes? When you just feel like they're frustrated with you. Uh-huh. Or you feel like you're a burden or you feel like you have to triple check with them. And be like, did you understand it? Did you talk to the chef? And like, we got it. When someone says, oh, I've got it. No worries. Then I'm like totally worried. Yeah. Because it's way too relaxed. And I don't think they registered the conversation we had just had. So when they're a little bit too nonchalant or when they don't listen, you know, there's that interaction where you're like, this person is not clocking anything that I'm saying. Like right. They're waiting for the cigarette break or something like that. Then. Then I'm like, you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to eat here tonight. I just don't feel safe. Right. Um, and maybe we won't come back if that's the waiter who's always going to be here. So it's a, it's, it's an understanding, but also reiterating that back to you and communicating effectively that gives you the confidence. Yeah, exactly. Like there needs to be an equal exchange. It can't just me talk. Be me talking at them. Right. You know, I want us to have a conversation just so that you understand, because you're going to be the one who has to have a conversation with the chef. Right. And then when they say, "Oh, let me just get the chef," I'm like. 
is that is that above and beyond like what's what's the above and beyond experience for you that a restaurant could give you to to make you just 110 percent sure even though that's probably impossible i've had a couple of good experiences where they've they've asked the chef to mark up the menu using so i always dine out with an allergy card right so it's a card that has all of my allergens on it and when i'll take the allergy card back and then the chef will take my allergy card and their menu and mark up the menu of what's not safe, what they can do to the dish to make it safe. Uh-huh. So you get this like kind of custom design menu for cool. yourself at the end. They're like, well, we can't do this as a side, but we could do this as a side instead. And it's like, you could have come out, we could have like a two minute conversation, but instead you went through the whole menu, which is amazing. So I've had that happen a couple of times and that's something that I totally appreciate. Um, And you just know that they know exactly everything that's in every dish. Because sometimes you have a fear of like, what's gonna, what's what's a a homemade sauce and what's a purchase sauce? What side did you actually make and what side did you buy at the Metro yesterday. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair. So that's like a real time ingredient verification and item verification. And that, I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense that that would be the the best move that a, a chef could do to make you happy. Um, okay. Well, here's, here's a question out of left field for you. I'm curious to know your answer because things are progressing. We are a podcast about food and technology. So not just food, uh, not just dietary restrictions, but where things are going. And I'm seeing, you know, on a very frequent basis, um, there, there's a blog called the spoon for anyone who's interested in food tech. Um, I don't have the exact URL, but if you just search the spoon, um, food technology news, they have really cool news that's coming out. And so how would you feel about a restaurant that's operated entirely by robots? Um, and let's say it's like a pasta restaurant. Okay. <laughs> Bear with me. It's a pasta restaurant and you, you just input exactly what you want. Let's say it's like a tagliatelle, carbonara or something like that. Whatever it might be, you choose it. And then a robot delivers it to you, to your table or to somewhere for you to pick it up. And they say it's allergy safe and they say it's allergy free and you don't need to worry about cross-contamination. How do you know and how do you feel about that? I have this very mixed feeling and I feel like it would be quite safe because I feel like everything would have a QR code and so the robot would know. So the error that would happen would be the human side of loading all of the food into the situation that the robot works in. So in one regard, I feel like that's good. But then there's that conversation of what happened before the food got into the kitchen. You know, if there's like pre-made things or... Uh Sometimes when you fill food into certain containers, that's where cross-contamination or cross-contact can happen. So there's all these little small nuances of how did how did everything get prepared before the robot touched the food? That right. would make me a little concerned. So I like having that conversation. Um, you never know if uh, they've changed spontaneously one of the ingredients that day. Right. Like maybe the robot doesn't know that and uh-huh. they just happen to be of the wrong shipment and they're like, whatever, we'll use that oil. It's fine, but it might not be a safe oil for you. So there's all these little things that make me really stressed out by the fact that I can't talk to someone. Right. And that a robot like can't go in and check and make sure that all of these things are still the same as the last time I ate there. Maybe if I've eaten there before. Um so in one regard, the robot makes me really nervous because you can't have that conversation and it can do its robot-y things, you know? Right. It knows what to do, but thinking outside of the box is not necessarily the strength of a robot. 
But at the same time, I feel like a robot would be really clean. <laughs> so I like the idea of a robot being like, here's the little square thingy that I put in the little circle thingy. Da, da, da. So I feel like the process yeah. of the robot would yeah. be super good. But it's everything that happens before and after, like before. Got it. That's it interesting. Good. So so I, I didn't expect that answer. I, th- I thought maybe you wouldn't trust the robot, that the robot could have some faults in it. But maybe we're at a stage where, you know, we, we're going into a flight these days. And the pilots are really just there for like takeoff and landing. Um, the rest yeah. of it, even to turn the plane, and most people don't know, they just, they just turn a dial. They're not even moving to turn the plane. They just change the heading with a little dial. Uh, and then the whole plane moves. So, I mean, I guess we rely on automation for so much these days that maybe that's the reason why you're trusting the robots to do the job. But you're like, well, humans, I don't know how you're going to prepare the robots. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like that's... The robot knows what it's doing. Uh-huh. This is my mind. I don't know anything about these robots, but in my mind, it's like the robot <laughs> knows it has to do A, B, and C to get your plate to the table. But anything that happens before that, that's where the the error can happen. Right. That's because fair. The, the robot doesn't know who or what past has been loaded into it. It just knows it has to boil it. Right. And so let's say they wanted, because this is a real business, by the way, and I'll link to it in the description. Um, I just don't have the name offhand. But let's say they decide, okay, you know, what? we are going to be allergy friendly. Um, and we're going to have some sort of a mandate, some sort of a protocol, we will let our users know that it's not just by chance that it's allergy safe, that it's consciously allergy safe. Would just a communication effort be enough to convince you? Or would you need to have the supervisor there to double check that very day? I feel like I would need to have to walk through the kitchen. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or they need to have an open window so I can see what's going on. Yeah. And I need to see all of the packages of everything that the robot has in it. Right. So here's a question on the other side. So you must, I mean, you eat, you know, uh, packaged goods, right? Um, that have some sort of a safety protocol in the manufacturing stage. But you aren't walking through the facilities yet. You trust that. So what, is that equivalent or is that is that different? Is that just more rigorous so you, you, you can trust it? I think we do our due diligence, right, when we're eating packaged foods. I know a lot of people and I've called companies and I'd say, you know, your statement says this. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that means? Mm. Uh, so we do. I mean, it is trial and error, right, yeah. when you have a packaged food. But the difference is, is it's trial and error at my house rather than I'm going out for a dinner yeah. and I want to have a good time and not feel stressed out. Whereas if I'm trying a new packaged food, I'll do it at home in the morning, knowing that I don't have anything else to do if it's a new thing. You know, I won't try it and then go hiking or something like that. So I think there's a little protocol built around mm-hmm. trying new foods that are packaged. And there's a lot of vetting that goes on behind that. So when you vet, because a lot of companies take, you know, uh, spend a huge amount of money even just in communicating and, and certifying that they're, you know, safe for whatever allergen or, or restriction. Um, do you, so even if they write that, are you always calling them and, 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 and double checking? No, there's not that many that I would call. I, uh, I'll read their allergen protocol. Okay. I'll see what other products they make beyond the ones that I'm going to eat. Right. So if there's uh, not a main contained statement, then I get nervous. Got and it. when they haven't bolded their ingredients, I get nervous. It really depends on how they communicate the allergens. That's important to me. And now with everyone having so much information online, that's been really helpful. 
and it depends on the country that I'm in, you know, because I know that other countries have more relaxed labeling laws, whereas in Europe they have pretty strong labeling laws. Mm-hmm. And uh, I trust larger brands a little bit more than smaller one-off brands because they're not as consistent with their labeling. Right. And I know that their supply chain changes, their supply chain changes more than like a larger company would. Right. And that would make and it. And that's t- just because I've had conversations with these companies of like oh yeah our shipment of this didn't come so we got it from this supplier this Mm. time but our labels didn't change because we printed thousands of them right but our product is slightly different so there's that little thing that makes me nervous about smaller companies yeah that that's an interesting insight i I wouldn't have thought of that just because a lot of the smaller companies tend to make healthier um safer choices i guess in theory uh but you find that it's there's there's more to it than than that that it could get sketchy. Yeah, I think if they're so if they're like specifically an allergy friendly brand okay. or they're you know they're going for some sort of label so if they're vegan friendly or keto right. or if you know that they're catering to a specific dietary need then it's a little bit easier but I don't always want to just eat allergy friendly food. Yeah. Cuz I can eat a lot of food that's not just allergy friendly, but it's those little companies that are not allergy aware or right. dietary restrictive aware Got it. that make me nervous, you Got know? it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair and 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 Courtney, it's so it's such a huge thing that you're doing that you're dedicating so much time out of your life to awareness and you have three different like three different <laughs> companies pretty much, right? Or like three different communities at least. Yeah, so um, Zestful and the Itch are together. They're okay. two different big brands, but they they fall under the same umbrella. Okay. Um, but Allergy Travels is just a community that I founded with uh, three other friends. When, when did you decide? <laughs> who all love to travel. Yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm curious to, to know a little bit more about the travels, but I, I want to know first like when you decided to dedicate so much time to to help others in in this community. Yeah. Tell me when you first had the thought like, Hey, maybe I'm going to wear the Cape. (laughs) I think it was when I first moved to Berlin, uh, I was feeling a little bit isolated. I didn't speak the language at the time I had just moved. I didn't know anyone. Um, and I think I was using my food allergies as a little bit of a crutch to not go out and explore and to allow myself to feel very reclusive uh, and my anxiety was just kind of skyrocketing. Um, and so I was just curious what people were doing online, if, if other adults were feeling the same way as I was. Um, because at the time, food allergies felt very much like just a children's disease. And it was also really interesting to see that so many kids are developing food allergies. And I went online and I realized that there's a lot of moms and dads talking about the experience but not enough adults talking about the experience and I saw a lot of fear in the community I saw a lot of fear and I was thinking oh my goodness the things that I did when I was younger were crazy and we just like did things that would give other moms heart attacks nowadays because we know better (laughs) Um, but in the 90s we didn't know yeah it was trial and error like I said but I saw all of this fear and all of this needs to control their child's lives yeah and i was like my parents were not like that and you need to allow kids to grow and learn how to manage their allergies on their own we can't micromanage everything so i saw i would i kind of became fearful for the younger generation of food allergy kids who might not be getting the independence that they should 
early on with their allergy management. Um, and so I thought, okay, you know, maybe I'll lend my voice to the community and see what happens. So I started a blog in secret. <laughs> nice. <laughs> then it kind of became therapy. And then I realized I was starting to connect with a lot of people and that there was this gap that was needing some filling. Yeah. So I jumped on in and I just found a community that was super supportive. And um, I just want to help kids these days, you know, try to live the fullest life they can with food allergies and not feel like food allergies have to be the end all be all of who they are. Right. And do you find that there's generally a cohesiveness to the um, allergen community that even if someone has like, you know, let's say they have a dairy allergy and someone has a shellfish allergy, there's still that camaraderie between them? Or is it like, well, this is, you, you don't understand because shellfish is delicious and I can't eat it. <laughs> I think that we know that, you know, if you have to avoid a food because yeah. it's life-threatening, then you have to avoid a food and we're all in that struggle together. Yours might be egg, mine might be peanut, yours might be sunflower, whatever. You know, we're all trying to do the same thing. I think if if we want to get there, go there, sometimes there's a little bit of beef between the like solo allergy versus the multiple allergy people. Uh -huh. But again, at the, <laughs> at the end of the day, we're all trying to avoid something. Yeah. So we're all, you know, we're all in it together. But sometimes it's like, well, my child has 18 allergies. So it's way harder. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, yes. Don't get petty. Let's just help each other. A very, very morbid competition. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know what? I don't want anyone to have any allergies. So yeah. let's just yeah. leave it up there. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. I'm like, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, we see that the numbers are rising and there's all these dietary restrictions. By the way, I wish it wasn't the case. I wish that I didn't have a condition. It's not like, you know, we're trying to perpetuate that. It just exists and we have to deal with it, un unfortunately. Exactly. Um, but, you know, who knows where where the medical um, innovations are going to lead. You know, I think everyone is sort of waiting on like the next frontier or, or, or a renaissance in uh, medicine for, um, you know, genetics and stuff like that, that, you know, we, we all, we all, we've all heard the answer before. Like, yeah, if you could adjust the genes, then maybe you, you could get rid of that. So who knows what's going to happen? I don't know if you, do you see that as like a light at the end of the tunnel when people talk about, you know, gene treatments in the future? Or is that just pie in the sky dream? I think that, you know, with this whole vaccine push mm -hmm. and this new technology i feel like we're all becoming a little bit more open to the technology that's available and realizing that we can pinpoint certain things in our bodies that we haven't been able to yeah you know that we can really like dive deep into our immune system and see exactly what's being triggered so i think that there's a lot of a lot of places that this is going to go um maybe in my lifetime but if it's not in my lifetime that's okay yeah uh but i think that there's going to be a lot of really cool changes coming soon starting you know this is the research is starting right and i uh, know i feel the exact same way and uh, i i think with um you know if we look at the vaccine if it was just you know a, a grant of 50 million dollars let's say that was given to some university to like look look at this when would the vaccine get made? You know, would it get made in 10 years? Would it get made in 20 years? Right. But because there was so much money thrown at it, it's like, we need mm -hmm. to get this done yesterday. And then they ended up getting it done. And, you know, in, in record breaking time, um, what, what would happen if 
we threw that kind of money at any of these other problems, any of these, these other issues. And what I say quite often is how can we get Uber Eats or DoorDash or any of these big companies <laughs> yeah. to, to invest like $100 million in making their experience better for people with dietary restrictions, severe or otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I sort of feel like a, like a second-class citizen when it comes to these ordering apps because it's just an afterthought. I mean, it's almost like an insult to injury that they have like, oh, yeah, just let send a quick note to the restaurant after you've placed the order. Like, great, that's not really going to help. Um, do you have a, a beef with these companies that have so much, they're flush with so much cash but aren't really doing a better job to, to accommodate or do you think it's not really in the scope? Honestly, I personally find that the conversation is really hard to have. It's a trust thing. And I'm coming from the food allergy aspect of like, if you use the wrong spoon, we might have some serious issues. (laughs) Uh, So for me, it's a trust thing. It's I need to kind of be there to have that conversation. So using an app, I know I have, I, I use it's very exciting. The okay. pandemic was very exciting for me because okay. I order pizza online. Oh, this is yeah. crazy. <laughs> like this would have never yeah, happened yeah, yeah. if this pandemic didn't happen. And it's like the pizza place that we go to. And so they know who I am. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. Write my little like crazy note. I'm just, it's the girl with the sunflower <laughs> allergy. Do not cut my pizza. <laughs> yeah. This is the girl that threatened you the one time. Um. <laughs> and I like emoji face. Like, <laughs> That's so hard. funny. Um, But I think for me, these these apps will never communicate what I feel like I need to communicate because I don't know who's on the other end. I don't know what they're reading on the ticket. You know, they they might be completely swamped and they just see I need to make this and boom, 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 I do it. But they might not notice the allergy warning or something like that. So I think it needs to be built into the protocol of the restaurant. So if you know it's the restaurant's protocol, but it's not the app's job, the app is just a communication tool. Mm. but it's the restaurant needing to like actually do that protocol. Mm-hmm. So it would need to be the app working with every restaurant that they have. In or at their least, system. or at least the ones that want to accommodate. Yeah. 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 That's so I totally think that fair. would be a really cool conversation to have. Like yeah. how can we get, you know, I don't know. What do you guys have in Canada? We have something called volt, but like, or Lisarando okay. or, delivery here i don't know what yeah, they're delivery in here. Here and, <laughs> uber uh, eats we'll say uber eats yeah. i think everyone has that yeah um if they went in and said if you want to add this like premium or something where you say you're so-and-so certified by us that you can cater to this allergy or this diet then they go in and they train the people and you have to have that training and you always have to have someone in your kitchen who's been trained by you and mm. then that makes the app liable for knowing that they're mm-hmm. this dietary restriction friendly. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be like a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many restaurants want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to go about it. actually in, in the, in the kosher industry, um, there's like a rabbi that needs to come, I think on quite a regular basis to check that everything's in order and, and, and so on. I'm not sure if they do that with halal as well, but there is some sort of a, uh, a model, a protocol that has existed um, already for these other things that aren't really mm-hmm. related to allergies, but you know, we could potentially borrow from their, from their model. So there's definitely some, some work to be done, but in any case, even if it's just a bunch of money allocated to research and development to find a solution, um, I, I think there's a solution out there. The last sort of question that I have for you is that you do travel a lot 
And I want our listeners who are maybe hesitant to travel for, you know, for any reason. I mean, even before COVID, everyone's hesitant because of COVID. But aside from that, if it comes down to dietary restrictions, food allergies, um, how did you manage it? And can you share uh, an outrageous experience that you never would have thought you would have had when you maybe didn't have the confidence to travel that you were able to do some fun trip that people wouldn't have thought that you could actually do with food allergies or have you done that yet? I think that it's, I would say moving ac- across the Europe is pretty, pretty damn amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. We grew, I grew up with traveling, you know, so okay. my parents threw me on a plane at six months old and I've been traveling since. Right. Um, so it's always been part of, something I do part of who I am I guess as a person is someone who travels there are places I don't go to but it's actually kind of more of an eczema thing than a an allergy thing because I think like with food allergies you can always find a way and I like to always tell people you know it doesn't have to be about the food it's about the experience about the culture it's about the vibes it's about wherever you're going like why why do you want to travel you know, what is it that is uh, making you feel like you need to go to that place? What do you want to see in that place? What do you want to explore? Right. Uh, if you can eat, that's a bonus. Otherwise, like, just bring a bunch of snacks or who, it's a week of eating crackers and smoked salmon for you or something like that. It doesn't right. have to be about the food. You have to have travel mates who also can accommodate you. So sure. it's like easier said than done. Right. Cause I know that nowadays everyone wants to travel and try the local cuisine. Like I feel food has become really the central topic to travel. It's like, Oh, you're going there. You have to try this restaurant or you have to try this food, but it, there's so much more than just food. So yeah. if you change your mindset and you think I'm going there to experience this culture, I'm going there to see what the streets of the city are like. I'm going there to feel the electric vibes of nightlife or whatever, then traveling is totally possible. I really do think you can make it work. So there's nothing that's necessarily made me think, oh, wow, that was crazy that I did this. But um, I'm just trying to think. Does any crazy thing that I've Like done? to me, to, to me, like, uh, have you been to Southeast Asia or something? Something like that? Yeah, so I have. <laughs> yeah. This is where I get stopped because I have, pretty bad neurodermite like eczema okay and um it's it, i get a flare in the heat oh. so anything hot and humid just like my whole body becomes a walking rash oh no so i feel like i could do asia i could eat like mangoes and rice that'd be totally cool for me for like a whole week i'd be totally fine with that i would just pack a bunch of food and I would just like sit around and watch everyone eat and smell it and then try and recreate it when I get home <laughs> or right. something like that. <laughs> so the food side doesn't bother me so much, but it's also, I have like this big skin problem Got where it. I get really uncomfortable, hot and itchy. And so you're going to Iceland, you're going to Iceland instead of Thailand. Oh, I love Iceland. Are you kidding me? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> See, I know already. I know. <laughs> me and my husband are like, we like to go north. That's <laughs> like, fun. Let's just go north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to Scandinavia for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what we do. We're just like, goodbye. We're going to Denmark. Yeah. Everyone's like, let's hit the beaches. We're like, no. <laughs> Checking in from Siberia. <laughs> That's exactly. funny. Hey, for, 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 I guess for, I was going to say like, uh, cause people have gone to the Dead Sea, uh, in Israel for like, I don't know, some sort of a natural treatment. Is that legit or is that, I mean, it's not, cause it's going to be super hot over there. 
Um, so whatever benefit you get from the water, you might, when you walk out, it might go away. Yeah. You know, it's the humidity that really kills me. Uh, um, but salt water is great. Uh, <laughs> salt water is really good. Salt water uh, does wonders. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe it would be a strange payoff. We would have to find out. Yeah. Well, that's it is- definitely in the bucket list. Yeah, no, my friend who has eczema, he he did. We went together actually to to Israel, and and uh, one of the destinations he had to go to was the Dead Sea, just for that benefit. So, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe uh, you'll you'll give us a report one day on that. Um, on, yeah, definitely. on your blog. Maybe we can continue the conversation in in the future as well. But for now, this is probably great, and I just want people to uh, be able to to follow you. So I, I think going to thezestful dot com. The uh, T H E Z E S T F U L L dot com. Um, that's the best place to reach you, right? Yeah, that's that's where I am. Um, you can read a bunch of articles. We have a nice collection of lifestyle, cooking, kind of just how to live a zestful life with right. food allergies. Don't let your food allergies hold you back from experiencing the zest that this world gives us. Uh, and then we also have the itch podcast and that's um, a medical more a medical podcast with me and dr Pyle gupta who's an allergist and we talk about we do deep dives into different topics okay. in terms of the atopic world so allergies asthma eczema immunology and i'm just like the girl who asks all the questions who doesn't really know much about it yeah but coming from that patient perspective of what what you feel like you always want to ask your allergist at your five minute appointment, but then your five minutes is up and you don't get to ask those questions. We try to do that in that part. Right. So people can probably message you and then you can relay the questions to, to the doctor. Yeah, exactly. So we like to do, we call them myth busting questions. So like general questions that people have that they kind of aren't sure about the answer. Uh, and they would rather hear it from Dr. Gupta than, you know, do a Google search and then become freaked out about everything. <laughs> yeah, then never Google search, guys. Just avoid that at all costs. <laughs> it is a it is a dangerous path. Like Google, you're just gonna think you have every disease on the planet and yeah. that you need to go to the hospital right away. Like Google is just fear mongering in my eyes. <laughs> it's always the it's always like the terminal fatal like you don't have too long life is gonna get horrible and it's just a headache usually um (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) just you're just pulling pulling things oh i definitely felt that yesterday i must have felt that yesterday that's definitely one of my symptoms yeah well that's something we didn't get to maybe we can get to that another time but it's it's all the probably fun conversations you might have had with with doctors i know i have had my fair share yeah exactly or like going from a canadian system to a german system and the uh, bedside manner is very different is I'm it trying to navigate that is it more harsh um it was a little bit scattered until i decided that the doctor i like is like an east german woman who's like over 60 <laughs> like all okay. of my doctors have to fit this criteria <laughs> because they have an excellent bedside manner <laughs> like they're so nice that's funny if you ever come back to canada you're like find me the German female doctors over 60, please. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, uh, Courtney, it was, it was a pleasure having you on and uh, I look forward to the next one. Yeah, thank you so much.